0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist Adam Roberts. My patient today, Valerie Lomas, won the Great American Baking Show. She was the first black winner of the entire Great British Bake Off franchise, only to have the show cancelled after the first episode aired when one of the judges was accused of sexual harassment. But Valerie came out on top. She's now out with her first cookbook, Life is What You Bake It, which is taking the food world by storm. I've got a copy right here, and I seriously think it's one of the best baking books to get published this year. In today's episode, we learned about how things go on the set of The Great British Baking Show.
1: You know, the sinks and stuff that you see there, they're not real. How she
0: ate seasonally growing up in Louisiana. If it's
1: shrimp season or crawfish season, that's what you're eating a lot of.
0: And how she develops a recipe.
1: Um, it just started with like me calling my dad, like and talking to him, and I'm like, okay, so when you were growing up, um, how did your how did your mom make suck
0: You may notice there are some sound issues in today's episode, so forgive me for not being technically savvy, but you should be able to hear the whole thing. So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Valerie Lomas. All right, Valerie, well it's so nice to meet you. Thanks so much for doing lunch therapy.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you, Adam.
0: Well, I have to congratulate you. Your new cookbook is gorgeous. Congratulations. How does it feel to have it finally out in the world?
1: Oh, it's it's such a relief. And I'm just so excited and thrilled because, um, you know, I'm just really proud with how it came out. And I was so excited that, you know, I would actually get to share, um, you know, this huge project that I had been working on with people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you have so many beautiful pictures in there. I I'm, I'm, I was just, like, looking at it before I spoke to you, and that biscuit picture with all those layers, I, I mean, I literally wanted to, like, tear the picture out and eat it, uh, but everything looks gorgeous. So did you, was the process of writing the book enjoyable, or was it stressful?
1: Uh, it was definitely both. I mean, I'm the kind of person who, who, uh, who can be a little prone to stress, mm-hmm. but, um, You know, it was definitely like a very satisfying process. Um, It was also very cathartic Mm -hmm. and it was exciting because, you know, I had these recipes that I had been kind of holding on close to for for many years. So Mm -hmm. to be able to just share those with people, like all under one umbrella and a cohesive story um, was really, really special.
0: So you and I have something in common, which is that we both went to law school um, and decided to pursue food careers after getting a law degree. And for me, I didn't actually practice law. Uh, I I graduated, but I didn't. I, I basically just went right into food writing. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that transition from from studying the law and practicing to being a full time food person.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a huge transition. Um, I like to to think about some people who got out of the law early. It's like, oh yeah, good. You know, quit while you're ahead sometimes. (laughs) uh, No, but, (laughs) you know, um, I. it's interesting because I graduated into the recession, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I think my legal career and probably my career overall would have just gone a lot differently otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, because I just kind of, Ended up in a law job that wasn't necessarily my, my, you know, my ideal job. That would have been a good fit for my personality. Mm-hmm. It never really quite clicked all the way. So because of that, I was um, really reliant on this this passion and hobby that I had for baking to give me a lot of personal, you know, fulfillment and. Professional fulfillment in a sense. I mean, it wasn't a profession at the time, but Mm -hmm. looking back, I think it counts as professional fulfillment given that it was, you know, uh, the budding start of, of the next phase of a very different career, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I mean, yeah, like, uh, being a lawyer and being a food writer are very different. I would say the, the two things they have in common is you got to be ready to work hard, but that's a lot of jobs. So.
0: Well, I think, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned baking and I, I know that baking is sometimes described as like more mathematical um, or, you know, logical. It's like a different part of your brain. And I, I as you were talking about pursuing baking from the law, I feel like there is a certain amount of like logic and you know, studying different laws and how they operate and like there's the laws of baking too. So I can see like some parallels, but uh, I don't know if that's something you actually thought about when making the the shift, but I was just thinking about that when you were talking. Um, Because do you think that, are are you more of a left brain person?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm definitely both. Um, So, you know, like it's interesting because I really started the blog, and I started baking as as just an outlet for me to express myself creatively. Mm -hmm. And you know, with the strict confines of legal writing, you know, and as an attorney, you understand that there are you know what we call terms of art, where Mm -hmm. you know the phrase means what it means in the terms of the law. And I found that I did find that a bit confining, but it doesn't mean that there isn't. Creativity with being a lawyer, because of course there is, but I think the type of creative outlet that I was looking for was not just it just wasn't on the path that I was going down. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I really do think like a, you know in a, in a different year in a different decade, I think my legal career would have looked a lot different, but because you know, I ended up on the advisory side of being an attorney when, um, you know, I probably have the personality that's more in line with the litigator, or I was really interested in like, international relations and that kind of thing. But, you know, um, I was, I was grateful to have a job, you know, at Mm -hmm. some point. So, you know, it was, it was definitely, at times, it was definitely a struggle. But, you know, I think that, Things ultimately do happen the way they're supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think I ended up in food because that's what I wanted.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, for me, when I was in law school, I just found being there so kind of dry and depressing. (laughs) Like it was like fluorescent lights. And I then remember going home and I just started watching the Food Network and I saw all these people like cooking like tomato sauce and all these things. And so I remember I went into the kitchen for the first time because I grew up in a family where nobody cooked and I started making food for myself. And I think that like contrast between studying textbooks and being in, the, in a, you know, Kind of brightly lit classroom to being in my kitchen with like smells and sensations and touching things and tasting things was such a contrast that it was hard to go back once I fell in love with cooking. I'm not sure if that's how it was for you, but that's definitely how it was for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess for me, it was a little different because I kind of like dove head into the world, you know, when I started a blog back many moons ago in 2009. Um, and, wow. you know, I didn't I didn't take that full plunge for another nine years. So I was working as an attorney for quite some time. Um, but it it didn't mean that I wasn't also, you know, doing things within the food and the food mm-hmm. media realm.
0: So what kind of attorney, what, what, what area you mentioned it in an advisory capacity, but what kind of area of law were you in?
1: Yes. I mean, so the second half of my career, I was doing privacy law. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the first half, I was just doing like a few different, like a few different things. Um, I was working at a few different government agencies. I was working at a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, none of it like exactly had me, you know, doing what, would have been my choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I get that. Yeah. It was all, yeah, it was all kind of like, I mean, sometimes we apply for jobs because we need to work. And mm-hmm. um, you know, like the thing about like going to law school that I did love was, you know, you get to pick your classes and you do have specific interests. And, you know, I I never quite ha- I never quite worked as a lawyer when it matched what my legal interests were.
0: Well, it's funny because when I was in law school, I spent one summer after I think my first year working at a big corporate firm. And then the second summer I got a job working for legal aid and I was helping um, patients with HIV and AIDS, like do their wills and their living wills. And I remember feeling like it was so fulfilling and I was like, oh, like I could totally see myself doing this. And then the, um, the guy who ran that whole program pulled me aside and he was like, Adam, your heart isn't in this.
1: Mm. And,
0: and I was like, and it was like, I felt like he saw right through me. It was like he knew this wasn't what I was passionate about. And it really changed my life, like him saying that, because I, I felt like I finally found it. I was like, oh, I want to do like charitable work. And he can just tell I didn't actually like the job of being a lawyer, of doing the research and doing the paperwork, and, you know. So it was actually kind of great that I had that experience because it put me on the right path for my career.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's like applicable to just so much in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like those experiences, even when things don't work out, they just kind of usher us onto the right path or, or going back in the right direction.
0: Well, Valerie, I don't know if um, anyone explained the concept of this podcast to you, but it's called Lunch Therapy because um, I ask my patients or guests what they have for lunch, and then we talk about it for a while and see what it reveals about them. So I don't know if you had lunch today, but um, I'm going to ask you, what, what did you have for lunch?
1: Yeah, I had lunch. Um, I had leftover Thai food. So I had chicken saute with peanut sauce and pad Thai.
0: Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so that, that's, a, that's something to work with. So are you, are you somebody um, who was it was a takeout or one that you made yourself?
1: Oh, it was takeout. Um, I have made Thai food myself, like in my own home kitchen, I think twice, Mm -hmm. which was just a whole adventure because, you know, like when you, when you cook with ingredients that are so unfamiliar and by so unfamiliar, I mean, with Thai food, it's like, instead of adding salt, you would add fish sauce or instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's, it's just like, it felt like, oh my gosh, it felt like I was cooking like with my eyes closed the couple of times I made Thai food. Um, Yeah, I
0: get that because there's not the same frame of reference as making something that you grew up with or that you know very well.
1: Exactly. So like I I happily, proudly um, allow my neighborhood Thai places to make me delicious curries. And, Mm. you know, I really kind of splurged yesterday with a Pad Thai. Normally I would you know, just get like a green or a red curry and yeah.
0: So do you um, cook savory food at home or do you mostly bake? Like, I mean, do you make, is that is that the right distinction? Like savory versus yeah. bacon? Yeah. Um, so you do both?
1: Yeah, I do both. Um, I actually was working on um, a jambalaya recipe that I'm going to be publishing and uh, for New York Times Cooking. It's actually, a, yeah, it's a, it's a, a meatless jambalaya um, and it's super, super tasty. Cause I use like liquid smoke and, um, uh, you know, tasty, like on style, vegan sausage. Um,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: yeah, I, I love to cook and it's funny because, you know, when like for the many, many years I was like, kind of, you know, one foot in the food space and one foot out. I I very much made savory recipes, blogged about them, shared them with people. Um, I would say that, like, you know, I do have a passion for baking, but the reason I really leaned all the way into baking is because I went on a show about baking. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. We need to talk about that. I mean... I mean, this is lunch therapy, so I figure like you probably have talked about this a lot, but in terms of therapy, it was probably a pretty traumatic experience. For those who don't know, you know, Valerie was on the Great American Baking Show and won, but they never aired it because of um, charges against one of the judges, sexual harassment charges. So what was that experience like? I mean, I guess in two parts, like what was the experience like of doing the show to start? And then what was the experience like of finding out it wasn't going to air?
1: Yeah, I mean it was definitely um it was definitely a crazy journey going on this show because I don't think anything can really like prepare you <laughs> for yeah. going on like you know a reality competition show about baking and then we filmed it in England so it was like everything is like the metric system and mm. their ingredients are different Um, So yeah, I don't think there was like anything that could like quite could have quite prepared me. But um, at the same time, it's like you learn to just kind of go with it. And I had to like rely on my own instincts. Mm -hmm. um, Because there was no time to like, or, or no opportunity to like stop and call my mother and ask her a question or reference Google. So it definitely ended up being a really great experience as far as me being a more confident baker. Um, Plus, you know, I had never cooked or baked with the intention of having someone judge my dishes.
0: Right. That's a whole other thing. That seems really stressful to me.
1: It is, yeah. And it's like if you are a home baker, you know, you're often you're just baking for friends or for family or for a bake sale. You're not in a position where someone is gonna really be criticizing you as you right. know as, as they would a professional. So that was like a very interesting and it was very um uh, <laughs> it was very scary because it's it's like even if you know you even if you like how something is, you just if you've never had that criticism ever before, you just don't know what you're going to get.
0: And did you learn stuff about yourself as a baker on the show because of the feedback you were getting?
1: Yeah, I think um I honestly I think I learned a lot before we even got to set because mm. you know, we were given all of these topics or of things that we would be baking and preparing and I was like okay, I guess I need to really like buckle down and learn how to make pastry cream, just like stuff I have been avoiding because, um, you know, because I mean, again, because I I had never really wanted to make certain things. I think when we cook and we bake, we all have things that we love to make and things that it's like, eh, whatever, not really into that. So it did force me to expand my repertoire because there was no getting around anything. Like we were going to make everything during the course of the show.
0: I have a big question. I've always wondered about these shows is does somebody else come in and do all of your dishes between challenges?
1: What do you mean? Oh,
0: uh (laughs) (laughs) because everybody makes such a mess. And then it's like, oh my God, like, do they have to clean that up too? Or do they get to leave and somebody cleans it up?
1: You definitely make a huge mess. And, you know, there are so many um, people on set, like a ton of like culinary producers and culinary assistants. So throughout the challenge, they're washing dishes. They're, um, you know, if you run out of an ingredient, they'll even run to the store and get Hmm. something in the middle of the challenge. Um, So there were definitely people who were keeping everything together. And honestly, we wouldn't have had time to stop and do dishes because the (laughs) schedule of filming was so crazy. It was like, as soon as, you know, as soon as something ended, we were whisked, whisked away to go, you know, give our interview asides to the cameras. And then, you know, you'd have a few minutes to like grab a bite for lunch and then you're filming, you know the afternoon competition so they would turn it over pretty quickly but they you know the sinks and stuff that you see there they're not real they're oh really (laughs) yeah i mean they might like they might function in the sense that it might have like five or so gallons of water connected but like if you run it it's gonna just like sometimes just run out of the like fake sink onto the floor um And I remember like someone poured hot oil down the sink and it like completely melted everything
0: underneath. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's so funny. Yeah, you're giving away all the good good juicy secrets. Thank you so much. I love
1: this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have been able to wash dishes in those sinks if you wanted to.
0: I guess it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that was kind of a dumb question because how could you cook like for three hours and then be expected to do all the dishes? But I just wanted to know for sure that somebody came in. But okay, now I'm curious- um, and we're gonna to get to the whole like not airing of it. But before that, like were, was there a certain challenge that you had like a huge flop on and then another challenge where you had like your greatest moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a, I, I mean, I had many flops, but um, we were doing like one of the secret challenges. Gosh, I don't even remember what it's called cause I don't watch the show anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the technical challenge. I think that's right, what it's right. called.
0: Yeah. That is what it's called. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, and so we, um, we were making creme caramels, but we didn't, I mean, I didn't know we were making creme caramels and I did not know what a creme caramel was. I had never <laughs> had that. I was like, we don't eat that in my culture. <laughs> um, and, it was, it was just awful. Like everything that could go wrong went wrong. My caramel was like not the correct color of caramel. It was way too blonde, um, mm. the the cream part of it. I don't know what I did, but it like didn't set or it didn't set all the way. And then I dropped like multiple, I think we had to do six. And I think I dropped like two of the ramekins so it was like it was just it was all bad and and somehow um mine that day was not the worst um oh we also had it was also like you have to do a we did little sugar cookies that went along with them but um Mm -hmm. yeah somehow I did not end up on the bottom of that and that was like the it was like no matter like how bad stuff is going someone else is probably also struggling because um, I mean that's just the nature of those shows that's why they give you a recipe with like half of the instructions missing right right they want Um, you to
0: screw up a little
1: they want you yeah they want some people to screw up especially if you like at the time you don't know like what it is that you're doing because (laughs) you know you don't like I I had never had a crème caramel I never even I didn't even really know what one was now I know what it is but I can't say I've I've still never had one um
0: I've made one before so almost like I think it's like a flan, right like you yeah, flip it, yeah, flip it's it like out. A,
1: yeah it's like a baked kind of custard yeah that you unmold mm-hmm. uh, which was really funny when they pour when they tipped my ramekin over it was really funny um <laughs> although like one person needed a bowl. So it was just, it, but it was, it was pretty bad, but it was, I mean, looking back, it was, it was kind of funny. And then like, I survived that episode. So I just remember like hugging my Baker bestie, Molly <laughs> Brodak. And it was just like such an exciting feeling because like we had both survived and I think she got star Baker that week, but um, yeah, it was, I mean, there there were many high highs, and then there mm-hmm. were the like hilariously low moments.
0: And <laughs> right, what, what was the, what was your great, what was your proudest moment on the show? What was the thing that you made that you were proudest of?
1: Um, I mean, I definitely think winning was, you know, like the at the finale and hearing the judges' feedback. Right. Um, yeah, like Paul Hollywood, he bit into my it was these shoe rings with this lemon cream and he like he like made this howl and it scared me (laughs) it startled me um but that's how excited he was when he bit into it um so that just like that felt amazing and um yeah just like knowing you know like the finale especially it was like knowing that I really did you know do my absolute best and I was very happy with how everything came out and it was enough it was enough for me to win
0: so let's get to the hard part I mean so how much time passed between the ending of the show and then getting that call that they weren't going to air it
1: oh well we got back home I got back home like late September Mm -hmm. and The show premiered the first week of December, and then before the second week is when they canceled it. So it was like between that first and second week of it airing. So probably about two and a half months.
0: And did you, like when that happened, I mean were you angry were you did you did you have understanding in terms of like the anger that was being directed towards the judge like what were your emotions that were going through you at that time
1: um and you know so this is interesting i actually do talk about this a lot in my book because Mm -hmm. you know like the process when i said the process of writing the book was cathartic right um this this in particular is what i was talking about because it was really, it was nice and fun to go back and like revisit, you know, the funny stories from the challenges or how it felt to win. Because though, like, I don't really spend a lot of my time or energy thinking about any of these things. So it was, it was really fun to go back and think about that stuff. And at the same time, it was really, you know, it was really interesting and challenging to go back and think about like, well, how did I feel when that happened? Um, Because, you know, it, I I chose not to dwell on it and to just kind of figure out how I could still make the best of the situation. But, um, I think I way more eloquently, you know, talk about, talk about that in my book, but you know, it was definitely, it was definitely disappointing, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that I knew. I didn't want that to be the end of the story.
0: And did you agree with the idea of canceling the show because of what was revealed about, I think it was Johnny Uzzini, right? The judge. who Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: you know, I, I've, I've, I realized very quickly that <laughs> the powers that be were not very much concerned with what my opinion was about how it right. should be handled. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that, but, um, You know, do I think they would have done it differently if it had happened six months later? You know, yes. You know, at the time, it was like the height of the Me Too movement. And another really popular chef um, who was on a different ABC show, like it was like a day or two after allegations came out about him. So I think they were maybe just like looking at like, Trying to like stop this you know snowball that was building, but um you know yeah i i I don't think they would have done it the same way, you know, even a month or two down the road, but I think it was just at a time where people weren't quite sure what to do with these allegations, so you know it it was it was this like well let's let's um Let's just <laughs> yeah. let's just make a decision because you know, it probably felt like time was of the essence. And, like I said, now, you know, now people react differently to such allegations. but well, the thing
0: is, like you 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 have the last laugh for sure because your your book looks amazing, and I feel like I feel like this is just the beginning for you. I feel like you're gonna be like on food Network in no time with your own show or something. I feel like you're it's just gonna get bigger and bigger. So I feel like you know, I, I t- actually understand that strategy of of not looking back too much and moving forward. And, and it's really cool that you use that experience to fuel the emotions that went into this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, and the book, it's actually, it's so much more than my experience on the show. And I, I think that was one of the things like, yes, I ended up going on this show, but I had very much been, you know, in the, in the world of like creating food and writing recipes and sharing those recipes with other people for um, probably like eight or nine years by the time I went on the show. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was, it was already so much more to that story. So, yeah. So I, you know, I, yeah, I didn't want to like let, just that one thing kind of dictate the bigger story I wanted to tell, which was a story about um about doing what you love, about not letting the obstacles in life that we all face stop you and more than anything it's a, it's a it's a it's a book of all of my favorite recipes, but it's also mm-hmm. about um it's about resilience and it's about believing in yourself and you know, I want to help people become better bakers. And I think for a lot of people, one of those issues is like believing that they can make something like pastry cream or like donuts. Um, and whereas other people, you know, I wanted I wanted bakers of all levels to get stuff out of this book. And a lot of the little tips and stuff I picked up from other bakers that competed on the Great American Baking Show ends up in the book.
0: Well, I think, I mean, it's funny because I obviously with this podcast really am interested in the link between psychology and food and cooking. And I love like in the biscuit recipe, when you give advice, you know, you're, you basically, you know, you say, keep the butter cold, which is a cooking thing, but then you're like, have confidence and, you know, and move, move quickly. Like, like there really is a psychological component to cooking. Well, it's about like, you know, approaching it. I, I actually tweeted a couple of weeks ago that like pie dough can smell fear because it's like, whenever I make a pie, it's like, I, I have to like work up my own confidence because it's like, okay, if I, if I act like I really know what I'm doing, it's going to, it's going to roll out really good. <laughs> but, if I, but if I, but if I go into it, like, oh God, I'm going to screw this up. It almost always screw it up. So I really appreciate that aspect of your book that you are are giving people, empowering people in that way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I, I love what you said about that, about pie to smelling fear. <laughs> like yeah and that's honestly like yeah that's pie dough that's cake that's meringue Mm -hmm. that's you know whatever that you know businesses that someone might want to start it's so many things and you know i really do believe that we have to give ourselves the chance to to make it i think so often we you know we quit before we even start which is um which is crazy but yeah, that's definitely something that I wanted people to take away from the book.
0: Well, it's funny because the title has that pun, like life is what you bake it. But it really feels like the more I talk to you, that it really is the philosophy of the book that it's like you were dealt this hand. And then instead of like, you know, wallowing in your misery, it's like, no, you took it and you did something with it and you wrote a book and you moving on. So, yeah, it's a good it's like I could see the T-shirt. I could see the hat. I see yeah. the, the tote bag. So wait, Valerie, so when you were talking about being on the show and you wanted to call your mom for help, it made me wonder, and if you could talk a little bit about like growing up and like the food you grew up with and cooking and how you learned how to cook,
1: yeah. so you know, I definitely, um, like my mother, she definitely was someone who who baked, but it was mostly just for the holidays or for people's birthdays. Uh, both of my grandmothers baked. Um, And I tell, you know, I tell some really important kind of like foundational stories about them and their experiences with baking and what they taught me about baking. Um, But I would say for the most part, I learned to bake from just simply baking. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was when I started my blog, I told myself I was going to bake something new every day for my last year of law school and i did so you know even though i might have grown up making you know like a pie here or a cake there i was now making things that i didn't you know grow up making in my native louisiana i was making like choux pastry to make gougere or soufflés and you know really fun stuff i i was a french major and i had lived in france a couple of times by the time i was in law school so um yeah like all of those experiences kind of you know gave me my own personal baking aesthetic which is you know it's rustic but it, it still has some elegance and flair to it mm-hmm. and you know it's it's definitely got the the homey kind of heirloom recipes but there are still some really like fun eclectic updated modern recipes as well.
0: That's one of the things I love about cooking is that it it's kind of a form of biography. Like it, you bring in elements of your own life, like the fact that you spent time in France, but you're from Louisiana. It's like those things kind of show themselves in your food in, in a way, which I think is really cool. Um, I'm wondering, though, like, did you when, when you grew up in Louisiana and you talked about your mother and your grandma, grandparents, like what kind of food were they making?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were they were de- like my mom, she's actually from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my, my grandmother, she was making biscuits and, um, they definitely make all of the Louisiana classics, right? I feel like everyone in Louisiana makes all the classics. So mm-hmm. gumbo, jambalaya, etouffee, fried fish, fried chicken, um, <laughs> <laughs> all of that red beans and rice, all of that good, good, good stuff. So, um, Yeah. And I mean, honestly, also for us, it was like you ate with what the seasons were. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if it's if it's like if it's shrimp season or crawfish season, that's what you're eating a lot of. Um, And, you know, the same thing goes for like the fruits and vegetables. Everything is very like seasonally oriented.
0: Where in Louisiana are you from?
1: I'm from Baton Rouge, born and raised, lived there, you know, until I graduated high school. And then I moved to Los Angeles and went to USC for undergrad and law school.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, I'm in LA. <laughs> so you went from LA, Louisiana to LA, California.
1: Yes, it, exactly.
0: <laughs> I was just watching. So there's this thing now on Apple TV called Pluto. And it's like old TV shows that you can watch for free. And they have a Julia Child channel where they literally showed Julia Child episodes like 24-7. And so I just happened to put it on the other day and Emeril Lagasse like 30 years ago was on. So this is like at the very beginning of his career, but he was showing how to make a roux for like a gumbo and just the whole like cooking it slowly and like getting it darker and darker. And it's, I've never done that, but I feel like that's such a Louisiana thing. And And there are certain things that, you know, that people do there that really they don't really do anywhere else in the country but are those things that you still do at home
1: oh absolutely yeah um and that's you know that's been exciting for me because like beyond this book and beyond my blog and i actually i have um a digital show on foodnetwork.com called valerie bakes your questions yeah um, i knew you're make... gonna
0: have a show on food Network. <laughs> i just had, <laughs> I predicted it okay
1: yeah i make <laughs> lots of yummy things um But, you know, I also like the recipes I I contribute for New York Times. They they are a lot of my, you know, Louisiana recipes. There's some baking also. So that's been really fun to explore and to share with people and to get feedback because, you know, people online are not afraid to tell you what they really think. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, I've been food blogging since 2004. So. I've been seasoned. I mean, actually, you know what, I learned more about punctuation from my mean commenters than I did about (laughs) cooking. Because everyone would be like, you didn't spell that word right. Or, you know, why did you have a hyphen in that sentence? Um, But what was I just going to ask you? I had a really good question that was on the tip of my tongue. Um, Well, I was going to ask you about um, goals now. Like, I mean, do you feel like cookbook publishing is where you want to be? Do you you ultimately want to have your own show? Like, what, what are your goals for your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I loved when we filmed, um, the digital show we filmed it end of last year, it came out in February. Um, I, I mean, I had such a great time and I would definitely love to do, to do more, more stuff in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm just like, so tickled with how this book came out and I definitely have plans to, you know, at, at some point down the line, um, you know, have like I think a book is just like a really great vehicle to transfer mm-hmm. um a lot of great information, a lot of recipes, beautiful pictures, and inspire people to cook and bake more and to cook and bake better. So um, you know, I absolutely want to do another book at some point down the road also.
0: So I'm I'm curious because like I've been going through this because I'm I'm working on a cookbook right now and um you know I to have the courage to come up with an original recipe, and I'm doing air quotes like original recipe, because you know so many recipes are just variations on the same idea, like you know I mean biscuits is an interesting one because biscuits is almost always a combination of butter, flour, and, you know some kind of liquid, whether it's buttermilk, I mean or cream, I think in your book, but like how how do you make a recipe your own? I guess is my question. like what makes it your recipe?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, at least there are different ways that I go about developing different recipes. So, you know, some of my recipes are actually like from my recipe book. Uh, my mom got me a recipe book in 1992 when I was mm-hmm. a wee little girl. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, I was, I, I recorded, like I would, I went to my grandmother's house and I like, you know, wrote down her famous cake recipe in that book. So like, some of my recipes actually come from that book. Um, some, you know, they come from recipes that my mom's written down over the years. Um, and then others, like, especially, um, you know, some of the more recent ones I've developed, like take um, the succotash recipe that I published in New York Times somewhat recently. Um, it just started with like me calling my dad, like, and talking to him. And I'm like, okay, so when you were growing up, um, how did your how did your mom make succotash? okay how did your stepdad make succotash? okay mm-hmm. how did your grandmother make it? How does your brother make it now? How does your cousin make it now? um and I just start interviewing people and um you know i I just kind of i kind of take all of that information and I start experimenting and i I get to make something that I like and that I think represents the dish um beautifully and sometimes accurately. But you know, food is constantly evolving and mm-hmm. it's it's always up to our interpretation. Um and you know, with baking recipes, it might be like, you know, I, I'm taking a pound cake recipe that, you know, that I got from my mom. And I'm then, you know, doing something because when you when you do something a lot, like in my in in my case, baking, you figure out ways that you can make things better. So, you know, I've definitely just like upgraded a lot of these recipes, made them more modern, adapted them. And then also a lot have just been based on experiment. Um, And that's actually, I found one of the great things about working with brands and brand partnerships. Um, I work with an olive oil company and because of them, you know, I was looking for olive oil desserts and I made olive oil chocolate chip cookies. And they're one of my most popular recipes, and my and um, that people are have been making from the book so far. So well, I'm glad you
0: had a good experience doing that. I, I at the end of my blog, because now I kind of transitioned to doing a newsletter. I did a series of videos for. A, I won't say the name of the company, but it was a kind of mayonnaise that's not really mayonnaise. And I had to <laughs> cook with it, and it was so disgusting. It was like the the guys on the crew who were videotaping me were like, "Oh my god, this is." nasty uh, so i'm glad that you had good good collaborations with um product product you know brands that you could work with that led to good stuff
1: yeah i mean and i look i definitely hear you on this sometimes <laughs> that is definitely not the case but i do find when i am given parameters um it does allow me to be more creative than i normally would mm-hmm. um and, you know, that was, that was actually the same thing with competing on the Great American Baking Show. They gave us yeah. these insane parameters and they were like, this is what it has to have. These are the time limits. Okay, go figure out what you're going to do. And for me that, you know, that allowed my creativity to kind of flourish because, um, I like boundaries somet- sometimes, sometimes.
0: <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I went to school for, uh, creative writing and, um, you know, like the classic scene that you have to write in, in like playwriting is like two people trapped in an elevator. It's like, everybody has to write that scene, but it's like, that always lends itself to some kind of interesting something because it's like, there's that limitation. So I feel that makes so much sense. And I think what's interesting about you, because part of this podcast is trying to like, you know, dig into somebody else's psychology. And with you, it's really interesting as I I get that sense of like structure, like enjoying structure, but then also like playing within that structure and, and, and sort of what we talked about at the beginning with the law and with baking, but those parameters of the, on the great, on the great American baking show sounded like they were really good for you too.
1: Yes, exactly. And, you know, you might appreciate this. Um, it's funny because <laughs> the great British bake-off um is the is kind of like the parent show of the great american baking show and the reason it's called baking show and not bake off here in the u.s is because pillsbury um actually owns the phrase bake off so that's why it's great american baking show which just confuses the heck out of everyone but yeah
0: that's really funny i had no idea but that makes sense I mean, it was funny because I was thinking about the law um, in terms of like copyright when we were talking about recipes and your background as a lawyer, because one one thing that helped me was the knowledge that like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't really copyright a recipe. You can only really copyright the expression of a recipe. Right. And what I I like about that is it's like, for example, to use your book, like the straw, I think the recipe is called strawberry smash. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. And it's like you know, it's very simple, but it's like the most delicious idea, which is like you take strawberries and you mix them with sugar and you smash them up, and then you like put them on biscuits, right? Is that sort of the? the Or I, in
1: my instance, just eat from a bowl.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or just eat from the bowl. But it's like okay, like if if I if somebody else came along tomorrow and did like raspberry smash and then did like raspberries in a bowl with sugar, it's like people, you know, I think a lot of people at home don't really understand. That it's, you know, I think they think about like trade secrets, like Coca-Cola, like is a trade secret where it's like, that's a recipe that's kept guarded, that, that right. is legally, it's legally protected. But, you know, Melissa Clark's recipe for sheet pan, you know, salmon with Brussels sprouts, it's like somebody else can come along and make a sheet pan salmon with Brussels sprouts, but describe the process completely differently. And then it would be their own recipe. And, and yeah. curious, is, is that something that you think about when you approach your recipes?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, and I think what is important is that, um, you know, that you like, I, like my red velvet sheet cake that's in the book, I talk about how it was inspired by the Martha Stewart cupcake book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a, it's like a sheet cake version, but you know, it's got the, my grandmother's cake frosting on it. Um So I think, you know, even though it's obviously like not at all the same recipe, you know, I, I just want to give credit to whatever source I used, whether Mm -hmm. it was someone in my family, whether it was a friend or whether it was, you know, one of, one of those cookbooks for me that ended up being kind of foundational when I was really starting to cook and bake in earnest.
0: Well, that was the question that I forgot earlier. So I'm glad you just said that, which is who are your biggest inspirations and what are the cookbooks that have meant the most to you over the years?
1: Oh, I mean, I, I mean, outside of like my grandmothers and my mother who are absolutely my biggest inspirations. Um, I would say like the book we grew up with, like in the kitchen all the time was the William Sonoma Essentials of Baking, mm. um, which was just like one of those kind of just like basic books that had a lot of different things in it. Um, You know, it had everything from like, I think it had even like croissants in it. You know, even though I wouldn't use that book now to make croissants because I've, you know, been, I I have other other sources that I think would be better primary sources. But, um, you know, it was just one of those books where it felt like whatever I wanted was in there. Um so I would definitely say when I was younger that book and then mm-hmm. um the Pierre Herme macaron book. Oh uh, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I I I definitely I'm sure I talk about that in the cookbook quite a bit because you know when I went to France after I finished law school that was the book that told me that like I could I could have a business selling macarons because I knew that book was going to teach me how to make macaroons because I had seen it teach my roommate who didn't even mm-hmm. like to bake. So it's so that- funny.
0: I, I went to Paris with my friend, John, like. 15 years ago and we met up with his brother there and we went to Pierre Hermé to get macaroons and I remember I got passion fruit and John got like chocolate and then his brother got white truffle and I think he thought that was like white chocolate like like the way that like he had like a chocolate truffle and I remember he bit into it and like spit it out all over the sidewalk because he was so shocked that like the like mushroomy fungal taste, but I remember yeah. that taste being so cool and, and just loving it. So that's a great, a great inspiration.
1: Yeah, listen, those savory macaron flavors, <laughs> listen, if you're not prepared for that, yeah. like I I can still taste like one of them and like not in a good way. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean it's kind of such a weird disconcerting feeling, I'm sure, to like bite into something so sweet and then have it taste like, you know. Uh, Or something that's supposed to be so sweet. Um, Right. Yeah, so that's interesting. So when you lived in France, were were you working, were you still doing legal stuff or did you work, do food stuff there?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the first two times I was in college, and I was just studying abroad. And then when I finished law school, I basically did a gap year. um, And I was, I was working as a, as a, as a probably rather overqualified English language assistant. Mm-hmm. Like 12 hours a week, um, and I worked for the school year. And I, um, that's when I had a new blog, and it was called Foodie in France, which mm-hmm. eventually became Foodie in New York, which is how I got my blog and social media handle.
0: Got it. And so when you were working there, so were you doing that like classic thing like Emily in Paris? Not that I watched that, but <laughs> like just sort of like roaming around and like staring at patisserie windows and like yeah. eating croissants in the morning and having those magical moments.
1: You know, I definitely had many magical moments, but it was nothing like Emily in Paris, which I did watch <laughs> probably multiple times. <laughs> um not that I was paying attention right I just like had it on in the background yeah um, I
0: mean I've heard mixed things about it so I don't want to denigrate it too much but I've just yeah heard... no
1: <laughs> I, <think laughs> I haven't that, watched it yeah I think the first episode I was like what is this and then I kind of <laughs> got into it a lot I kind of got into it a lot um but yeah, I mean, I think for me, those moments were like the friends I made, the French roommates that I had. How we we would cook dinner together every night, um, and of course, I mean, there's something about Paris, like the pastry shops, the the crepe stands. I find it all just so seductive, and I, I mean, I didn't stand a chance. I was <laughs> it 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 won so.
0: Did you have, was there something specific that you remember eating there that like blew your mind or that stayed with you and inspired you?
1: Um, I mean, I, I, like, I don't think I had had macaroons before then. And Mm -hmm. that was, that was fall 2010. So this was before macaroons like really made it to the U S. So I think that might've been, um, been that thing and it's funny because they were definitely very fashionable here for quite some time and you know I think it was like the reprieve following the cupcake mm-hmm. um, and now I don't know I'm not sure what's the macaroon of the moment I mean there
0: Maybe... was the whole cronut thing but that was I guess very short-lived
1: yeah uh, I don't know
0: what do you think what were you about to say
1: I don't, I was like, I don't know. Maybe the, just the cookie is making a comeback. I don't know.
0: Ah, well, I mean, I, I think those donuts from your cookbook could be the next big thing. Uh, oh cause, yeah. Cause people don't really, you know, I think like they, there were, had been, I guess like for a while there was donut plants in New York that had really beautiful donuts or kind of gourmet donuts, but you don't really see those like multicolored exciting donuts the same way you see the macarons. So I think, I think that could be on, that could, that could maybe be the next trend.
1: Yeah. Listen, if any donut stores out there want to collaborate, <laughs> hit me up. I've got a whole chapter on donuts in my cookbook. Um, and yeah.
0: Well, I have a question for you. I um, My partner and I ordered a box of donuts the other day just because it was like a Sunday, we were a little hungover, like, let's, let's just get some donuts. We ordered from this really great place in LA called Colorado Donuts. And we had like a buttermilk bar and all this. And I ate them and I was literally like loving every bite. But then like an hour later, I felt like such crap. (laughs) And I was curious, like, when you're testing all of these recipes and making all these things, like, how do you surround yourself with so many sweets and so many sweet things without like feeling sick all the time? (laughs) Or is it just, yeah, how do you do it?
1: I mean, so like when I'm testing something, it's weird. Like, honestly, whenever I cook or bake something, like it it kind of loses its appeal, especially if it's Mm -hmm. something I've made over and over and over again. Um, And I think for me, the hardest part about being in this industry is the fact that I'm like, literally on media whether it's social media or television or even like magazines all day every day looking at food like Mm -hmm. for me that's like way harder because it's like you just see something and then it's like oh my gosh I now have this like indescribable craving for whatever whatever I just saw and it could be it could be a steak it could be anything um so for me that's really challenging but as far as like testing recipes um, I love to test recipes when I'm like around a group of people or going yes. near a group of people. Cause you get feedback, you get people who are willing to eat them. And, um, you know, I, I live on a block. There are a lot of people in my neighbor, like in my neighborhood and on my block, I just walk outside and I just give people the food that I've made and they are there to willingly take it. So
0: that's nice. Well, your neighbors must love you. <laughs> It's funny cuz like I've discovered only late in life that there are a lot of food writers who don't actually eat their own food. And I've become friends with some of them and it's like, I mean, they'll make things and I I've realized, I mean, I had lunch with Smitten Kitchen Deb Perelman in New York when I was there and like, you know, she she figures out ways to do it, but I realized that like some people just really approach their cooking professionally, it's like they make the thing that they're doing for work, but then the food that they eat for themselves might be totally different. And it's like, I'm like, oh, I guess you can do that. Like you don't have, like, I just had to test the tuna casserole for a second time for the cookbook I'm doing. And it was so rich and heavy and like, it's delicious. It has like fried onions on top, but it's like, I can't eat a whole tuna casserole again. So I gave a lot away. So it was good that you answered that question. Cause I think a lot of people are curious about that. Um, Well, as a final question, we always start every podcast with what did you have for lunch, but we end with what are you having for dinner tonight?
1: Yeah, um, geez, that is a great question. There is (laughs) nothing planned. Um, And this is also like a recipe developer's dilemma because, you know, when you've been in the kitchen all day for work, it's like, oh, I don't really want to cook dinner tonight. Um, we, We see that I didn't cook lunch. Um, and for breakfast, I had coffee. So um, yeah. I think I think I might take it easy for dinner. I think I I think I'll have a glass of wine, and I will just snack on a few things. I might just have um I have some leftover pasta that I made yesterday. It's chickpea pasta. Um, like the,
0: the pasta itself is chickpea flour, or it has yeah. To be... Okay. Yeah. Man. It
1: the brand is is called Banda and I've been eating it for years. Um, I really like it. So, you know, it's like the, it's like in the little craft macaroni and cheese box, but I doctored it up with like good spices and like some fresh grated parm. And then yeah, my uh, really fiberlicious protein packed chickpea pasta. I think I'm going to have the leftovers from that.
0: You've inspired me because I am trying to lose weight now, <laughs> like my pandemic 10 pounds. It's time to say goodbye to them. So my hardest, my biggest hurdle is pasta, because I love making pasta and I've never made chickpea pasta. So that sounds like a really good idea to
1: Oh, you have to let that. me know how that turns out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, what spices did you put in it?
1: Um, I have this silk chili. Um, it's from the this- amazing spice company single origin spices it's called burlap and barrel oh yeah um, i love them yeah they're amazing so the silk chili the carbon carbonero ca- chili am i saying that right i don't um, know habanero <laughs> habanero chili i'm oh,
0: habanero yeah oh yeah, yeah
1: i'm struggling no i think it i think it does start with a c i'm struggling oh carbonero um, okay yeah that and what was the third spice? Oh, they have a fermented white pepper. So mm-hmm. it comes in its own little grinder and I added the fermented white pepper. Um, so it was like nice and spicy, but like, you know, it was kind of funky from the the fermented white pepper. And then, you know, with my freshly grated parm, uh, it was, <laughs> it was gourmet-ish.
0: what what did you have any like fat in there like butter or like um olive oil
1: yeah I put a little bit of olive oil in it yeah a little almond milk and olive oil Ah, like almond milk with the (laughs) perm to make this like little like bechamel ish not really cheese sauce yeah
0: Mm -hmm. it sounds so I mean do you kind of balance all the baking with like health like nutritional foods or healthy foods
1: Um, Yeah, uh, I
0: quote unquote healthy. I know that's arbitrary, but uh, but that sounded like a healthy dinner.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, like if I'm going to like a, a brunch or a baby shower, I love to bake something and bring to that. But um, you know, or if it's like the weekend and I'm making pancakes, or just if I want pancakes, um. But like, yeah, I'm not like you know sitting around eating a pan of brownies every night, uh, as tempting as that sounds. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. I mean, I think people think that like, yeah, when you see a book like that, it's like, oh my god, going to her house, it's probably like filled with sweets and jars of cookies, and that you know. But it's like, no, you, know, you got to get rid of it as much as you can, or you'll be eating it all the time. <laughs> So is there a a recipe from the book that you are most proud of or that you would suggest people make first or is the one the one that that you're most excited about?
1: Yeah. I I mean, you mentioned that people are making these old fashioned donuts. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like tickled beyond thrilled because it's such a good recipe and it's like it's not something that you're necessarily gonna even be able to find at a donut shop mm-hmm. and the fact that you get to make them fresh and enjoy them warm um I'm I'm I am truly like beyond tickled that people are making these and I even like in the book I have a QR code that gives you um little video demos so I have one on like how to fry donuts because I know it can be intimidating um so that's something I'm super excited about um, and I would say, like just me personally, I love breakfast. So mm-hmm. maybe everything in the breakfast chapter. Um... <laughs>
0: yeah, that all looks so good. Those biscuits truly look incredible. So I think that might be the first thing that I make from your book, oh. your biscuits, because I do a drop biscuit recipe that I've been making for years that was from Cooks Illustrated, and I feel like it's cheating because you just make a bowl full of dough and then you just use an ice cream scoop and scoop it into a cake pan and then put brush butter on top, and they kind of come up they, you know, they puff up nicely. But when I saw all the layers in your biscuit, I was like, okay, I need to graduate to the Valerie Lomas School of Biscuit Making. So that will be my first project, I think.
1: I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see. Um, You know, it's it's so cool watching people share what they're making on social media. And someone made the biscuits like two weeks ago, and they look better than my biscuits look. <laughs> and I was like, Wow! Like i I'm doubt like, that. yeah. No, i I I saw that. I was tickled. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm super excited to see people make this stuff.
0: And as far as the donuts go, I, I watched the video of you making them with Claire Saffitz. Which, if people are listening and who haven't watched it yet, that's a great. Seemed like a lot of fun. Did you enjoy yourself doing that?
1: Yes. It it was super fun. I mean, like. I, I love baking with other people. I, I just, I love getting to like talk about recipes and share those recipes. So anytime I'm with other bakers, that's always exciting.
0: Well, Valerie, thank you so much for taking the time to do lunch therapy. And it was such a delight talking to you. Um, and I'm so excited for your book
1: okay thanks it was great speaking with you also
0: yeah well good luck with everything yeah and have a great rest of your day enjoy your dinner (laughs) (laughs)
1: all right thank you too bye bye